Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at Suicide Squad, the film from David Ayer. I thought this would be a really good time to take a look at this as uh, coming out next week by the, based on the uh, time this episode is released. Uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, the reboot slash sequel. We're not sure yet because we haven't seen it. Uh, the new version is coming out. So this felt like a very timely thing to look at. Uh, so Matt, why don't you uh, lay your overall thoughts on us? What did you think about uh, Suicide Squad on this, uh, on this rewatch? Well, I, I got to say that, um, you know, it was, it was about as painful as having my wisdom teeth removed. I, I had to watch it over the course of two days. This, I think, is almost anti-cinema. It, it, uh, <laughs> the first half is, is like a, is like a poor music video after like music video, video after music video. And the second half is like, I mean, I think it puts B films, B films are, are much higher quality. I've seen many B films that are, are, have better shot and continuity editing, narrative, plot structure, uh, this, it was physically painful for me to watch this movie. It, it is just horrible. I mean, there's no really, there's not really any two ways about it for me. Um, and it, it's, I'm actually really excited for the suicide squad, uh, from James Gunn. I think that, um, James Gunn has a proven track record, especially with kind of, uh, team up films, uh, obviously, he has the Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think are fantastic films. Um, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is is probably one of the true 10 out of 10 films in the MCU. I think it's a perfect film that you could show literally anybody. Uh, I've rewatched it a number of times, and it holds up. It is honestly one of, one of the best films uh, that I've seen. And this... I'm excited to see what he can do because this was absolutely horrible. I, I cannot describe how much I hate this film. How do you feel, Craig? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to try and describe how much you hate this film, which is, is the beauty of what we're doing. I, I think I just need to keep coming up with movies you hate because it's going to make for good conversation. <laughs> and this must be rough after coming off you know, the last venting that we did. <laughs> you know what? And I know that you watched uh, the, the theatrical edition. Is that correct? So I watched uh, whatever is on HBO Max. Yeah, I think that's the theatrical edition. I, I think that's the mainstream. The the extended edition, uh, which is on the the Blu-ray uh, and digitally, uh, is far less known. There's about ten to fifteen minutes left uh, additional film uh, to that one, and that's the one that I watched. That's the one uh, that I always watch, and I I like this film. I actually had a really good time. I watched it in one sitting. Uh, I've seen this film a number of times, saw it in the theater and enjoyed it. Uh, but I do like the the extended edition a lot more. There is a handful of things, and I think we've might have talked about this off air before, uh, that I think that you might enjoy about the extended edition. Uh, when we get into cinematography, uh, there's one, like one of my favorite shots is actually from the extended edition, which I was watching it and then did some research and was like, oh, well, that's a shot that Matt didn't see. Uh, so that'll be interesting to call out. Uh, but in essence, there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more Harley, Harley Quinn and Joker stuff in the in the extended edition. I think that's really the the appeal to that. 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but essentially there's, there's more for backstory. Uh, there's, and also when they're walking through, uh, the city walking through walking through the, the rubble and stuff that you see her actually kind of psychoanalyzing some of the people, hmm. which I think that's just a fascinating characterization to, you know, remind us that not she's not just a psychopath, but she's actually, you know, a genius. She's she's a doctor and she's done, you know, psychiatry. And so she's she's doing what she knows how to do. And it just adds a whole layer to uh, to her character. So it's fun to see that uh, in this film. You see that a little bit in Birds of Prey as well. Uh, but that, I think that was a, a fun addition to this. And I would be remiss uh, if I didn't say that, you know, really neither of those additions uh, is really the director's vision, which is, you know, kind of a rough thing uh, that David Ayer, the director and writer of this film did not have final say on the cut. And so, you know, there is this rumored Ayer cut out there uh, that is, you know, in kind of a similar way to Zack Snyder's justice league, that there's this true version of the film, according to the director, uh, that we may or may never see, may or may not see. But uh, so it's kind of, you know, we're, we're penalizing the film for what it is, I think, much more than, you know, what the intent was, at least from the original writer and director. Would you would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we can only uh, talk about what we have. <laughs> <laughs> and I know from, you know, when this came out, there was at least... You know, I don't know if this was 100% confirmed or if this was just rumors uh, that uh, Warner Brothers had hired a uh, trailer company, essentially, to cut the trailer for Suicide Squad. And were so impre- impressed with it that they asked them to do a cut of the whole entire film. And I don't know if we ever found out how much of the trailer company cut is in the theatrical release. And so I, I think that is still up in the air. And I don't know, but this has um, a ton of problems that I, I really want to dive into. But I do want to say that the best part of the movie is the casting. Um, I, and I think the performances really across the board, there, there was not any performance uh, that felt uh, they all they were all pretty good. Uh, the, the, you know, on second thought, I, I think the only one I would maybe criticize is um, Enchantress. Uh, I think it, the actress is Cara, Cara Delevingne, but I don't think it was anything uh, that she had to do. I think it was the way her character was written. I don't think she was given much to work with, but um, like Will Smith is very charming. Uh, he's he's kind of playing himself, but that's fine. He kind of has this inherent charm about him. Harley Quinn is, I think, the definitive live-action Harley Quinn, uh, or uh, Margot Robbie as as Harley Quinn is is really the definitive Harley Quinn. I think she hits the kind of accents, mannerisms, all that. Uh, she knocks it out of the park. Uh, the rest of the Suicide Squad, I think, is totally fine uh, as far as you know the performances. So, I do have to say that that was the best part of the film. Um, I know that Harley. Harley Quinn is a, a fairly big character in some of the following movies. I think Jared, Jared Leto's Joker uh, was entirely unnecessary in this movie, but I think the performance was just fine. Um, I, I don't particularly like all of the costume decisions, like the damaged tattoo, like I think is on his forehead. I think it's just a little on the nose, but it's like, that's something I can overlook. You know, I don't, I don't think it like ruins the movie or anything. His performance is fine. I don't think the script 
is is written in a way that really makes Joker necessary. Yeah, you know, it's uh, first off, I want to say that I'm genuinely surprised that you like Jared Leto's Joker because that's you know that's one of those things that's very controversial about this film. A lot of people don't like it. I I like it, and uh, it's interesting to mention the damage tattoo, which is missing <laughs> when he shows up in in the the, the future stuff in in Justice League. And I, I do want to say, yeah. his I, I don't mind his performance. I, I think that they could have easily cut Joker out or expanded his role. But it kind of feels like it's in the middle ground of both not enough and too much. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's you know, it's the one thing that's a plus, one, one of the things that's a plus about that extended edition, like I mentioned, that you there is more Joker. And that's one of the things that's rumored to be a lot more Joker in... Uh, in the director's cut, which we, we have not yet seen. But I do think that the, the best way to look at this film is as a world-building film, as far as like Batman's rogues gallery, there's a ton of that in this film. And that's one of my favorite things about this film is the, the flashbacks with Batman in it, especially the one with him and, and Joker and Harley. I love when he punches her in the face when she <laughs> slashes at him underwater. I just thought that's just so Batman. It's just great. And you have him with Deadshot and, you know, there's a great, I think, a great flash cameo with Captain Boomerang's introduction. And again, Jai Courtney, I, I've seen him in a bunch of different stuff. Generally don't care for him, but I think that he, or his performance, I should say, seems like a, a fine gentleman, but <laughs> didn't like his performances. But in this one, he's, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And I think, you know, for, for what it is, he's very charismatic. Uh, I've read in some interviews, he's supposed to, he, the director said, you know, just be a dirtbag. And he nails that, you know, it's, 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 it's a great piece of casting uh, as well, but I really liked the music. I know you said that like, you felt like uh, it was like a lot of music videos at the beginning. I, I liked the stylized character introductions with kind of the, almost looked like the back of a baseball card thrown up on the <laughs> side. I thought those were kind of cool. I like Rick flags, especially it pops up there and it's like, he's like a like, three handicap in golf. Um, some of that stuff I think is just hilarious and uh, I really like the music. I mean, especially when they come in, you know, Amanda Waller is, if you're not, if you don't know who that character is from the comics, you just figure she's, you know, she's some government official. She's probably a good guy. And you know, she gets sympathy for the devil is her, <laughs> is her needle drop. And like, yeah, she is not a good person and she just chews scenery. And we haven't mentioned her yet. Uh, Viola Davis is, you know, she's amazing. Uh, in this film as I mean I you can't even really call her an anti-hero I mean she's just straight out evil and yet she's I guess on the good guy's side right there's it's very gray in this it reminds me a little bit of uh, like like Pulp Fiction you know if you were to ask like who's the good guy in Pulp Fiction you know good luck I, I guess Bruce Willis's character maybe maybe it's Butch but you know they're they're all bad guys in this so you know, the music, I, I felt like you could have turned on any kind of pop rock, classic rock radio station, and, and it would have been the soundtrack for this movie. Uh, I did, you know, think about some of the original score because, you know, there's a handful of moments where the original score comes in. Uh, and as we talk about, you know, the score of the film is, is very much the emotion of the film. And it felt so forced and artificial when the original score popped in. Uh, you know, there was nothing particularly wrong with it, uh, but I was just very, very aware of of the manipulation of, you know, when the heroic music comes on, 
when the suicide squad is is at the end of the you know film and they're all walking in slow motion together and it's like you're not a team you don't like each other you're barely characters i should i shouldn't even say that they're not characters they're caricatures and nah no i I didn't like it (laughs) you know the music it was it was on the nose and i don't know you know, it, it'd be fine for like a little uh, um, little vignette that they released like before the film. You mentioned like the introductions and that's something that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I actually like the comparison to baseball cards. I, I think that's like very fitting uh, for the introductions. And, you know, by themselves, I think it was just fine. But there's like three introductions or four introductions or five introductions in the film. Because really, we get an intro for both Deadshot and Harley and kind of Waller at the very beginning. And then it goes into kind of the baseball card introductions when she's flipping through the files, right? And then that's over. And I think we're like 40 minutes into the film or something by the time those introductions are over. It's something like that or 30 minutes maybe. But then we have almost like another introduction to Deadshot when he's at the rifle range. And then just when you think that those introductions are over, uh, we get like an introduction to Katana. It's like, oh yeah, we forgot about her. We got to introduce her real quick. And every single one of those are exposition dumps. And even though they are flashbacks, so we do see some of it, just by the very nature of it, it is kind of more tell than show, right? We, we, We don't see these characters organically interacting with one another and we kind of see these little montage flashbacks uh to a little bit of their background um and then we get another introduction uh i think it's like 45 minutes into the film with uh is, is it slipknot or is that the band what's <laughs> uh you know what? he dies so quickly so i don't <laughs> did i did it's I the one it? who can climb anything i believe so yes and so it's like and then there's like one more you know, just thrown in there uh, for giggles. And I think if you had trimmed it down, because the movie's like two hours long. So it's like they could have afforded to cut 10, 15 minutes from this or maybe replaced it with some of the, you know, some other footage. But it's like, we we don't need three introductions to Deadshot. <laughs> I want to see Deadshot interacting organically with the characters. Uh, something that is, is so simple but I think is completely bungled in this movie is just simple cause and effect storytelling where the characters have, you know, or set up and payoff where it's like the characters do or say something and it's paid off later in the film. An example of this would be when uh, boomerang, he has the fetish for pink unicorns. Okay. You know, whatever that's silly. That that's fine. Right. And then he, he stuffs it into his jacket and then later in the film he gets stabbed. Right. And you can kind of see he doesn't really get hurt. It like hits something in his jacket. And so the setup was him putting the pink unicorn into his his jacket. And the payoff should have been when the the knife hit the pink unicorn, right? And that's the joke where the pink unicorn saves his life. But it's not a pink unicorn. It's a stack of cash. And it's like, this is basic stuff. (laughs) Like you're doing all the work in the intros of setting this stuff up. And then you just don't pay it off it is really unsatisfying. So that's, that, that's where it's like the introductions. I think, I think we're fine in the beginning. They're not my favorite 
but it's okay. Right. And, you know, I, in my mind, I can't help, but kind of compare it a little bit to guardians of the galaxy because they, they are different because I think that guardians is more of like misfits and jerks essentially, right. To keep it PG <laughs> exactly. uh, coming together, right. They're, they're not the nicest people, but they're, they are, there's, there's a sense of humanity that they all have. Right. And that film really shows and highlights their humanity. There's a little moment when rocket raccoon uh, gets like drunk at the bar and, you know, he kind of opens up very briefly and you see how hurt he is. And just that little moment is a moment of humanity that I don't really see matched in this film. Um, and there's there's no one to root for. I don't think any of the characters are good people. I don't think any of them are really likable. And there's like this, like you talked about how Waller was evil. And I completely agree. And it's pretty well established uh, that the guards at the prison, uh, Bell Reeve or something yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, are, are pretty evil as well. I mean, they are pretty sadistic. They torture the inmates, uh, regardless of how bad they are. That's, that's pretty evil, uh, the torture, right? And, and there's more set up like at the very beginning of the movie when Deadshot talks about how like some way, somehow I'm going to rain down on you on that, that lead prison guard. And then we, you know, we never get any payoff for all the kind of torture and stuff that, you know, these guards put them through. And so it's kind of, again, unsatisfying where it's like, they never get their come comeuppance. They're, they're just desserts. And so, you know, am I supposed to root against Waller and the prison guards? Sure, I can kind of see that. But then it's like they're not part of the movie. There's no payoff to wanting me to root against them. Am I supposed to root for the Suicide Squad? I, I think I'm supposed to, but I don't really see. There's nothing for, I don't like any of them. You know, I know like um, Deadshot has his daughter but I don't think he's a very good dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't think that Deadshot should be, should have like custody of his child. I, I, I don't, you know, it, it tries to um, add this kind of uh, pathos, this, you know, empathy, but I don't really feel it for him. Yeah. I, I'm not sympathetic because it's like, he's not a great person. So. Well, he, he kills people for money. Yeah. But I do love the scene at the end with the uh, the geometry when he's he's teaching her like how he would take a shot, and you know that would be pretty engaging, you know, <laughs> learning how to kill people. Like that's all you need to do, kids. Like let's learn how to shoot people with through the wind and you know, take into account all these, all the yeah. geometry of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know, but it's like at the same time that's that's kind of supposed to be like my. You're supposed to kind of empathize right oh he's yeah. he's hanging out with his daughter but he's teaching her how to become an assassin yeah like no you you sympathize or empathize uh because he's will smith <laughs> and and honestly i forget you I, usually i'll forget that will smith is in this movie as much as he is and then i'll be like oh yeah will smith is, i love will smith but therefore i root for deadshot right which whether or not that's legitimate or not, that clearly doesn't work for you, but I think it works for some people. That's probably why he's in this film. I will say it's interesting that you bring up the scene in the bar in guardians of the galaxy. And I will say, I'm going to go on and get another tangent real quickly <laughs> is that 
when this film came out, it was definitely, it seems to me uh, that it was going to be DC's answer uh, to, to guardians of the galaxy, especially with yes. the music. I mean, you know, it's the needle drops are very much uh, a lot of colors. I mean, there's, yeah. It, yeah. it is that way. And it, and it feels like, you know, some studio executive or executives like, again, we talked about the trailer, you know, like, well, this is kind of what we want. It's getting that, uh, you know, that response that it's kind of like guardians, like, let's make the whole movie like that. And who knows how much raw footage there was. I mean, we know with, you know, like the Snyder cut, for instance, there was, you know, over four hours of stuff. I'm sure there was like, he didn't still didn't put everything in, even though we got the four hour version, who knows how long, how much footage we had of this film. And then they're just, cutting and pasting it together there is a lot of things that feel like it doesn't quite pay off because they're putting it together and you have a trailer company supposedly that's putting this together and it's interesting like none of them are credited either you know you have mm-hmm. uh it's the, officially it's edited by john gilroy uh who did films like the born legacy and pacific rim and rogue one and films that we like films that we enjoy uh and yet it's kind of like he's he still has his name on it but it's not his work uh, but I did want to say, again, I'm going to put my, my two cents in again for the extended edition, that the, the scene in the bar in this particular film is longer. That's another thing. And if there's a character in this film to root for, it's Diablo. You get a lot more of him in that scene. And you see that, you know, his, he, he kills his, his wife and his kids, but not on purpose, right? He's kind of like the victim of circumstance. And you feel, you see in that film that even the rest of them kind of look at him like, Oh, wow, that's horrible. And there's a little bit of sympathy for him in that scene. And that's a, you know, whether it works or not, that seems to be the one primary scene where like, okay, these are, they're not just thrown together. They actually have to choose because you see at the end of they walk out of the bar, it's like, okay, now, you know, we might as well. And it's, you can argue about character motivation at that point. Like, is it legitimate that they would now try and finish the mission? Maybe, maybe not. But that's the scene that's set up as the, well, since we're here, we might as well do the thing that we were brought in to do. Yeah. And it works better in the extended edition, mainly because of, of his story. And Rick Flagg comes clean and says, you know, here's what they're doing. Here's, their, here's how they're manipulating me. And you kind of have a little bit of, you know, I'm not that different from you. And so there's some kind of um, some bonding that happens in that scene. Uh, you know, I think... I think you're right that I think Diablo is the most sympathetic character in, in the, in the story. Um, but it's kind of, in my opinion, messed up how the plot is around him. And one example of this is so, you know, Diablo does this horrible thing, kind of loses control. You know, he, he doesn't kill his wife and kids on purpose, uh, but loses control and ends up burning them. And so he vows to never use his power again in violence, right? And I think that is actually a very empathetic, sympathetic. It's like, okay, that's cool. I, I can I can dig that. Um, but the entire movie, they're pushing him towards violence again. And so it's like, okay, so you have this person who kind of takes this vow against violence because he lost control and hurt his family. But then like Deadshot is continually pushing him to unleash himself right i think at the end he even says like and maybe it's the boomerang but um diablo says something like what if i lose control again and someone says back to him then maybe we'll have a chance it's so it's like they are pushing him to lose control to be violent 
And it's like, I don't know if that's a good message to be pushing. <laughs> but then at, at the at the very end, when he's fighting the brother of Enchantress, uh, he says, I lost one family. Diablo does. I lost one family. I'm not going to lose another. And then Deadshot says, think it through. So the entire movie, all the Suicide Squad are pushing Diablo to be violent, to use his powers. And you can argue, okay, he's using his powers for good. Uh, but then at right at the end, it's like Deadshot says, no, don't do it. But that's directly contradicting what he right. spent the entire film doing. And then like, <laughs> I'm looking through my notes and you know, the bar scene, like Deadshot says at one point, like uh, at one point Deadshot says, then, you know, to honor among thieves and like, you know, he, he cheers his glass. But as we just talked about, he's not a thief. He's an assassin. Yeah. I don't think any of them are thieves per se. Right. Well, boomerang, boomerang is. Okay. You so Boomerang the, is. Yeah. yeah. Clearly. Probably, he was probably stole banks. some stuff, but yeah. That, yeah that's but not it's their, like, that's not their typical. To classify her as a thief MO. is kind of stretching it a little. Like she, she does thievery. Yeah. But she's not, you know. That's not what she does. I hear what you're saying. And so it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Honor <laughs> among thieves. And maybe it's just a saying like, you know, you know, like honor among bad people or something, but it's like, what, what honor, like what code are we talking about? Like, it's not established. And, you know, you talked about character motivation, which I also have an issue with because it's like, why would they go with flag after the bar scene? Like, there's no point, like, what's in it for them really yeah yeah i mean it's that and that that feels to me like there's some stuff missing that comes after that and and that's i have to look at this as i watch this film and i think two things one i'm like again i'm i'm excited for the suicide squad because i like the idea mm-hmm. of putting these disposable characters together uh, and who knows what's going to happen uh, but I also am watching this going, I know there's a better film in here. I believe David Ayer when he says, look, I have this film and it's there. And it's, you know, it was not supposed to be like this comedy. You know, he says like, this must be this, this drama. Uh, and it feels like it's kind of just been chopped up. And I guess I feel that, you know, empathy for him, uh, for the writer and director. But I feel like I can kind of piece things together. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly much more forgiving of this film than you are, which is fine. Um, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to expand what we did, uh, beyond star Wars to be able to do films like this and be like, you know what? I love it. I hate it. Cool. Let's talk about that. That'll be, that'll be an interesting thing. I did want to kind of (laughs) see, I want to steer us back a little bit to kind of some of the film aspects to see if maybe there was things, uh, other than characterization, uh, and plot, if there was anything that you liked or that stuck out to you cinematography wise, because, uh, I had a couple things. I mean, there's the one, and I, I it might have even been in the trailer, but the shot, the dead shot's looking out the window of a cell at one point, and this is in the extended edition, so you didn't get to see it. And it's just this beautiful shot. You get first person view, him looking out, and it's just, it's heartbreaking the way it's shot. And you just see that he is stuck, but he can see, you know, it's like two feet, uh, you know, two feet high by, I don't know, eight feet. That's all he sees. And it's just, it's a gorgeous shot and you feel for him at the time because he's stuck and you know that he, at least it feels at that point, like he's, he's regretful, at least of the fact that he's not with his daughter. And then, you know, the, the shot of, 
of Joker and Harley in the vat, the bird's eye view of that. I really enjoy that shot too. I just think that's a cool looking shot with the colors swirling around. Uh, I wish this film had a lot more color in it. That is one of the things that, that I did note that it's, it's a lot of outdoors at night fighting and it's kind of hard to see some of it. It's not really well lit in a lot of places and that's frustrating. It's got that kind of muted Snyder-esque color palette, which I enjoy in certain things, but in this, I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more uh, and I thought that was frustrating. Did you have any, any things that you'd want to point out for, uh, for cinematography? You know, I was, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, that, you know, when I, when I'm watching these films, you know, there's, I'm, I'm paying attention. Uh, you know, I'm trying to look for these, these film aspects that we talk about. Uh, but I, I'm also looking big picture at kind of the heart and the soul of the film and, and for me, you know, the characters, the characters, they, they have to be there. You know, I think the plot needs to make sense. All of these things that we talk about are in service to the story that's being told. But if this, the story that's being told is just complete crap, then all that <laughs> stuff gets thrown out because it's in service to nothing. Yeah. I'm just trying to have you find some, find some nuggets. No, find some no, this, this movie brought me no joy. <laughs> Well, I'll throw um, in a couple more okay, uh, yeah. from this. So uh, I really like, I really like the dead shot intro where he's, he's shooting when he shoots that guy and ricochets it off there. Uh, I love the first person of that. I think it's, it's very engaging. I would have liked, I mean, I would enjoy a whole movie of that. I think that would have been a great spinoff to do if it, and it's potentially still something they can do. They can bring him back. That's one of the reasons why uh, Idris Elba was not playing dead shot. He's playing a, a new character, uh, Bloodsport. So I, I enjoyed Will Smith's performance. I enjoy Will Smith in just about everything, even movies that are horrible. But I liked the way that was shot. I thought it was really engaging with the first person point of view. One of the most, I don't know if it's notorious is the right word. One of the most memorable shots in this film is the bird's eye view of Joker line in the circle of knives. Uh, that's just kind of an interesting, interesting looking shot. But this time, the, the one thing that jumped out at me a lot, and I know I'd seen it, but it just it felt more important this time, I guess, is that when you have the introduction to Killer Croc and they throw the goat into him to eat it, uh, and then again, in the extended edition, it's a little bit longer. You see him taking the goat away and actually kind of hear him start eating it. And then you have this jump cut immediately to Waller eating a rare steak. And I thought that, that at least I thought was a brilliant way to very show, not tell, that she's a monster too, just as much as he is uh, with just that quick little editing move. I agree. Um, that's not, uh, you know, a scene that I saw, but just from your description, I think, you know, that's something that you look for. And I think that's some nice, nice little bit of, of storytelling. I want to go back real quick to, you know, the Joker and uh, him, his relationship with Harley, you know, you mentioned that shot with him and the knives and all the different, objects and stuff i do actually think that's that's a pretty iconic shot i I think that it sticks out as this very stylistic uh display right the composition and everything and that's that's kind of what i feel like a lot of this movie is is you know the parts that i do think are positive like that little moment there is style over substance because i just don't see anything in this movie that really and like I said, really deserves, you know, the Joker being in it as much as he is. Um, you know, if you have like a little flashback 
of Harley's, you know, intro, as it were, uh, becoming a villain. You know, that's one thing. But I almost kind of wish that Joker was the big villain rather than Enchantress. And for me, I think Harley is Harley and Deadshot are are the two kind of main bad Suicide Squad characters, right? The bad guys. And I think if if you have Joker as the villain, you create some very interesting internal tension and drama uh, for Harley and what she's going to do. What you know, is she going to choose the Joker or is she going to choose the Suicide Squad, right? And um, you have a little bit of that with with uh, June Moon and Flag, right? Because they're in love and the Enchantress has kind of taken over uh, June Moon's body possessed her. But something that um, an author uh, wrote, Chuck Wendig, is that you can think of like character conflict as, as lines. And people who are allies are kind of like parallel lines pointing towards the same objective. They're both working towards the same goal. And when you have characters in conflict, they're kind of like perpendicular lines, lines that cross each other. They're pointing at different goals and they they intersect. And I feel like June Moon and Flag are both kind of parallel lines. Like the character of June Moon wants to be freed of Enchantress. And that's what Flag wants too, right? So they kind of both want the same thing. And even though June Moon is the enemy, it's not really June Moon. It's really Enchantress. It's just in Moon's body, right? And so it's like, there's not really any kind of internal conflict or personal conflict between the two of them. They kind of both want the same thing. And I feel like you have the opportunity to do something really interesting with Harley and Joker because Harley would be torn between wanting to, you know, that kind of perfect life. And we see that vision in the movie of her having kind of the stay-at-home mom life with Joker, and the reality, which is that he is a horrible, disgusting person. And we all know that, right? I mean, it's Joker. Uh, but the relationship is, is and very intentionally, meant to be abusive and, and horrific. Not a good thing. And, and I feel like that would be such, such an interesting direction to go. And I just felt like this, it lacked that drama that is necessary for a good film. No, I, I totally hear hear what you're saying. I think that uh, just as common as saying people that people saying that they didn't like uh, Jared Leto's Joker is people saying that they wish they had more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I like what you said earlier. You know about like either have him in the film barely in there. Like this middle ground doesn't really work. No, <laughs> you know that's rough. And you know it. I, I, I did want to ask when the first time you saw this movie and and had there was the reveal that Enchantress is the big bad. Was that something you saw coming? How did you feel about that issue in the plot? I thought it was monumentally stupid. (laughs) And, and it's, it's all about the execution because I think Enchantress could have been the, the big, bad evil guy just fine. Right. But then, you know, and this is, this goes to kind of my, my structural issues with the film. And again, why my mind isn't on kind of like cinematography and stuff like that is because it doesn't, it's not serving the story because there is no story there. So, you know, it's introduced Enchantress and she's kind of this witch, uh, kind of similar to uh, Wanda Maximoff, right? Kind of magical. Sure. Sure. Okay. That works. That's fine. Uh, And Waller controls her because she has her heart. And you see that little briefcase with like the, 
the TNT and then the heart, right? And it's like, okay. So, you know, that's the character's motivation to do Waller's bidding is because if she doesn't, Waller will kill her. That makes sense. I mean, I think that works as a motivation. But then, like, they, you know, this, she just, like, disappears, goes off and, like, steals the little statue of her brother, possesses some random guy in a subway, which, okay, you know, she she does that, whatever. Uh, and then uh, Flag and, and June Moon go to investigate and Enchantress takes her over and runs away, which we don't see, by the way. It's just told to us over like radio. And Waller takes like, <laughs> I don't know if it's like a steak knife or a pen. And she like stabs uh, yeah. Enchantress's heart. heart. Yeah. Why didn't that stop her? Yeah, I don't know. Because it's pretty well established <laughs> in the film that right. her heart is like, she needs the heart, right? Oh, I, I, I remember. Okay, so this is, this, this is really interesting because again, we, we watched different versions of the film. Yeah. I, there is a line in the extended edition about her. She's aware that this is happening and she asks her, she takes some of her brother's power. So it is explained in the film, like why that doesn't work. So that was in the, that was in the theatrical cut too. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. That's that thing where she's like going to her brother and she's like, help me. Okay. Right. So that's why she doesn't, she's, she's aware. Well, it's at least to me in this, in the version that I watched, it was, it was fairly explicit that she knew that Waller was threatening her. And, and that at this point she has to basically siphon energy off of him. So why does, so Waller stabs the heart, right? Yeah. And then she goes to her brother, but the heart is still there because that's still kind of a, a, a big part of the end of the film even after it was stabbed <laughs> because, because yeah. they say multiple times yeah. they need to get her heart in order to defeat her. Yeah. Right. And then at the very, very end flag takes his hands and like, that's right. Cracks the heart open. Yes. And that does defeat her. Yes. But it didn't earlier in the film. It's because he did it out of love, man. No, let's go with that. Let's <laughs> no. go with that. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about with. It's so stupid. Like it does not work on like a, on like a structural level. Like they didn't know what they were doing and it's pretty obvious. And I think if they clean that up, right. Yeah. Maybe it works. So this movie actually reminded me of another film, uh, a 2004 film called Mindhunters. And it has the American poet LL Cool J in it. And he has a line and he says, I guess we found his weakness bullets. <laughs> and this movie, it doesn't have as good of a line as that, but yeah. it's kind of the same concept. How, you know, are these metahumans? Cause they make a big deal about how they need metahumans to defend themselves against a rogue Superman. Sure. But they defeat, the other the evil metahumans, Enchantress and her brother, not with the metahumans, but with bombs, explosions. They they blow up the brother, and then yeah. they blow, yeah, they blow up Enchantress, and that's what defeats her. Yeah. So I have I have a counterpoint on that, but I, you know, I'll get to that now because I do want to talk about some of the lines that I really enjoyed. Well, well, you know what? I'm now as good as time as any. Um, then I did think that this movie 
showed at least a couple moments of self-awareness uh, similar to that, but like tongue in cheek, like that's just dumb. The LL Cool J line. Uh, you know, at one point, Will Smith says, uh, so let me guess, we're going to the swirling ring of trash in the sky, you know, because why wouldn't we? I just thought like that made me laugh out loud. It's like, yes, it's stupid. There's a blue light from the sky, which for, like for the longest time, like every single comic book movie had a blue light coming from the, or shooting into the sky. So that, you know, that was great. They also says at one point, that is just a mean lady. And <laughs> like to me, that just slays me uh, that he's talking about Waller in that regard. I, I have one line that I thought I really okay. enjoyed uh, from Harley when she talks about seeing like the big swirly magic stuff. And she's like, is anybody else seeing this? I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, cause I'm off my meds. <laughs> that was, that was a yeah. good line. Yeah. That was, yeah. That, that's a good one. What, yeah. I, I enjoy that. Anytime she plays up the fact that she's crazy. Yes. Uh, you know, like the voices told me to do that. No, no, that's not what they said. Right. Is that, also, okay. That was another good line too. Yeah. 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 But and again, that, it's like Harley was the best part of the film. Yeah. So she is. You know, I, I thought, you know, just to kind of skip down really quickly to like body language, facial expressions that she has and some of its makeup, uh, she's just like cartoonishly large eyes and a grin. Mm-hmm. Like it's popping off the screen, which really makes she looks like a cartoon come to life, which makes sense when you realize that, yes, Matt, this film won an Academy Award. This is an Oscar winner. You know, for best makeup and hairstyling, and and I think you know, honestly, you know, Harley's no small part of that. You Killer Croc at, too. Yeah, kill, I was going to say Killer Croc yeah. too. Like, is is amazing that they, you know, it feels like a guy who's mutated into a crocodile type creature. So, and I got to say that uh, I totally believe that because I think the makeup uh, and and stuff was fantastic. But it then breaks my heart that so many of the bad guys are just uh, kind of generic CGI baddies. And like the, the little human creature guys. Yeah, I looked that up. Those guys are called the eyes of the adversary. Those are guys are their heads are covered in eyes. Yeah. And then like Enchantress, I, I can't get out of my head. Those wavy car, used car sale yeah. people. Where she's just like waving in the air. There's a little bit of that. There's a lot of that. That yeah. that's Enchantress for basically most of the film, and it looks terrible. And her brother looks like a CGI bad guy, which I can roll with. But he looks very similar to uh, the the bad guy. Is it the, like the Sentinel or whatever from Thor? Oh sure, yeah, right. And yeah. so it's like. I enjoyed that film. And so it's like the CGI didn't bother me. I didn't enjoy this movie and the CGI bothers me more. It's like, (laughs) but it's like one of those things where I can kind of take it or leave it. Sure. Uh, But so just going back to the lines real quick at the end of the film flag says, we have the heart. We can end this. Yeah. Do you remember what happens next? Uh, Because they don't stab the heart. That's oh, when they throw the explosives. Throw the, throw the bomb. Because they also have to stop the, the big thing in the sky. They're swirling But, but wouldn't killing Enchantress stop that? Because she's Probably. like the source of the magic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just, it makes no sense to say that and then not do yeah. that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go super meta on you here. Okay. <laughs> so here's, here's the big thing that, that my big takeaway from, from watching this film was that the biggest reason, now it's, it's stated by, it's stated by Waller uh, that the whole purpose of Task Force X is, you know, what if there's another Superman, or what if Superman would have been bad and came and ripped the whole house, you know, the roof off the White House and all that stuff. So we need metahumans to combat it. I don't think that's the purpose at all. 
I think the whole point of this, and maybe I'm reading into this, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt, is that she wanted her own personalized army that she could do whatever she wanted with because she's that vain. And that's why she's going to go get criminals, regardless of whether they have powers, because most of them don't even have powers. I mean, Deadshot is you know supernaturally good with a gun, but you know Captain Boomerang is good with boomerangs. But they're not really metahumans, yeah, right? Like against Diablo too. Yeah, Diablo. Like Diablo is like the only one. I mean, right. Killer Croc to a degree, but you know they're criminals. They're mm-hmm. really good at being criminals. But she can do whatever she wants with them. She can, you know, she holds their life literally in her hands uh, with with the nanite bombs and stuff. And so, I think ultimately it's. That's her pitch, you know, to to the government that this is what she's doing. But I don't think it's that at all. I think she just wants the power to do that. And I think that there's an element to this that you see it's it's paid off at the end. For me, it's paid off because it does not work. And that's why you have, which one honestly, one of my favorite moments in the film is when Bruce Wayne shows up in the mid-credit scene. And it's like, yeah, you know what? You just need to let me and my friends handle this. So that's where, you know, you it's kind of a these guys are like the stand-ins while we're getting the Justice League together. I mean, she even has files on Arthur Curry and uh, on Barry Allen and stuff. The you know, guys that ultimately become part of the Justice League. And so I think that what you're saying that, you know, they don't do metahuman stuff like to defeat, you know, Enchantress and her brother. They literally do things that Rick Flagg's SEAL team could have taken care of all that stuff. Right. But maybe, I, but maybe that's the point. I, I think that that would have been a much better film. <clears throat> That is not the film that we got, but I do think that's a very good idea. And I think that would have been way more interesting. Yeah. Having Waller. I mean, you can kind of tell that she's kind of a bad guy. Right. Yeah. But it's like, that would make sense that she's using it for essentially personal gain. Yeah. Right. It's not about Superman going rogue. That's the excuse that she gives to the, the government. Uh, to get permission to put this task t- task force together, but it's that's not, and it's it's like it's you can read that into the film, but it's not in the film. <laughs> uh, and I and I don't think you're far off, and I don't think the movie was far off from that. Yeah, but that's ultimately that's not what it was about, right? Yeah, where you know because they go and they save Waller and they go save her again or try to. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's three helicopter crashes in this film. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, Not one. It's two, two, but three. Yeah. So it's like that, I think, would have been a much better film. And maybe that's the film that he intended. Yeah. And if so, I think that had possibility of being very, very good. Yeah. But that's not what we got. Yeah. And I think this is the movie is so choppy, structurally makes zero sense. It's repetitive. And the characters, I mean, without describing how they look, their, you know, quote unquote, metahuman powers or their job. Can you describe the characterization of the Suicide Squad? I mean, some of them I can. I mean, like I said earlier, Captain Boomerang's a dirtbag. Right. He's just a slime ball. (laughs) You know, he is. Harley's Harley's manipulative. I mean, there's a few. There, I, I see what your point is. And, yeah, and it, but, but then there's yeah, there's there also are, no there's no character arc either. Like boomerang, I kind of get the dirtbag thing. Okay, I, I think it could have been a little bit stronger, but I get that. Yeah, 
but it's like he stays a dirtbag. <laughs> he doesn't change. Well, yeah, he's a one-note dirtbag. But that's not. It it's doesn't you, make me you, you enjoy the redemption him in the movie. Well, yeah. that's that's. But see, that's kind of the thing with like you take Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, they're they are also kind of dirtbags, yeah. right? And selfish and out for themselves. But they don't stay that way. Yeah. So they, you really... they do heroic things, right? And so you grow to like them as they grow as individuals and as a, a quote unquote family. Yeah. And I'm, so it's I'm... like this movie doesn't even try that. Or it, it does kind of in the bar scene, but fails at it. Yeah. So you really wanted redemption arcs for these horrible people. I, I think you gotta you gotta you gotta do you gotta do something with the film. So take your idea, right? Where it's like Waller is kind of the big bad. Yeah. And she wants this personal army. And they realize that, oh no, even though, you know, Waller is terrible and like, okay, we could save her or we could try and defeat Enchantress and save the city, save the world, right? And it's like, they choose to do that. I don't think that was there in the film. Like even that is kind of doing something heroic. Right. <laughs> You know, so yeah, they're, if you want people to root for these people, you got to have something likable about them. So again, one thing that I, I felt a lot as I was watching this was excitement for the Suicide Squad. And I think that we, I think you feel that with that same way, that a lot of the things that it looked like either from the trailers or even embedded in this particular film that were promised seem to be, I mean, again, we haven't seen, you know, the new film yet seem to be part of what's what's to come, yeah. right? There might be, I mean, it looks like a little bit like even like Bloodsport's going to have a similar thing to Will Smith's character. I mean, that's kind of just the way that's going to be because at one point it was going to be Deadshot, rewrote or whatever, and that you kind of have this potential redemption arc for him. Uh, and then you don't have, you know, at this point, you know, the Justice League exists in the timeline. So being able to say, hey, I need to make sure I'm able to, you know, protect us against another Superman is not a legitimate uh, reason to to form to reform the Suicide Squad, and so it'll be interesting to see what uh, what the rationale is if we get a scene like that, where you know I'm going to try this again. How's this going to work? But we're definitely, uh, you know, the rumor is we're going to get a lot more deaths <laughs> in that film. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a lot more violent, and I think that there's there's just a lot of things I can kind of see. And honestly, I, I think watching this this film, watching Suicide Squad. I was anticipating the Suicide Squad and seeing, okay, I, get, I enjoyed this more because I know kind of where it's going or where I anticipate it going uh, in the next film, which again, they've said, you know, it's, it's not a sequel. I mean, yeah, it's later in the timeline and there's the same characters and actors who portrayed them from the previous film. So <laughs> nature of the beast that, that makes it a sequel. I mean, that's like saying, you know, like the early James Bond films weren't sequels. I mean, yeah. Yes I mean, and no. Yes and no. Like not yeah. in any, it's not important either way. Yeah. Right. Unless you directly contradict something. It's like if it's the first time Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn meet each other, then that's a contradiction. Sure. I don't think we'll get any of that, but it does feel a lot of ways like we're going to get a do over. Mm-hmm. I think Suicide Squad uh, from David Ayer needed massive structural changes. Uh, it needed the script to be rewritten in large parts. But you had ingredients there that would have worked in a much better film. And, and that was, 
you know, there, there was, there isn't much I liked about the movie, but I think there is a movie that you could have created from the suicide squad. You know, if you had, you know, restructured it and rewritten the story a little bit and, and smoothed the edges off a little bit. And that's where I'm kind of com- coming into the suicide squad, uh, the James Gunn film. I'm hoping they figure that stuff out. And based on James Gunn's work, I believe that he will pull it off. And I think we'll, we'll get a very good film uh, out of this. We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And just from you know, interviews I've, I've heard um, from, from James Gunn, it sounds like Warner Brothers was very hands-off and basically just said, do whatever you want to do. Uh, and you know, having worked for both DC and worked for Kevin Feige over at Marvel, who when we talked about a little bit this uh, off air that you know Marvel is very consistent, and we'll talk about this at you know at some point in some of the films we look at. Uh, and part of that is because Kevin Feige is very, for lack of a better better word, rigid about how a Marvel film feels, right, and looks, and those kind of things. Where uh, you know, for good or for bad, you know, but, but at this point, without having that you know overarching supervision he's going to make the film that he wants to make and that that seems to be what's happening with what sounds to be a very violent not family friendly but i'm excited to see it the suicide squad so matt any any other final thoughts about suicide squad it's, it's hard it's hard no. not to say the suicide squad but that's <laughs> yeah. not the film we're doing yet i, I have a question for you though real quick yeah. um so if at some point the air cut is released HBO max, whatever form it takes. Would you watch it? Yeah. And I watched, um, the Snyder cut, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of Snyder. Uh, he, I think the Snyder cuts of the justice league was a much better film. I, I also think it's a lot easier to get the film right when you've had like three years of critique and feedback <laughs> and it's like you do it once and then you do it twice yeah i'd hope it'd be better and i still have issues with that film i don't think it's um a a, a great film but i think it is significantly better i've seen some of david ayer's other films and uh although i do think that they were better i wasn't a huge fan of his work um, but i do think that they were better films and that's what i would expect an air cut to be better uh, but not great. And of course, I could be wrong. You know, you never know. I definitely would watch it. Uh, I think that this was an absolute mess. I hated it, and I'd be very happy to never see it again. Those are my final thoughts. There you go. Well, I'm really glad that I made you watch it, and I'm sure <laughs> at some point you will get me back by making me watch something that I hate. Absolutely. Although I think I I'm think looking forward I- to it. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies.